Ladies and gentlemen, a star has been born. Okay, maybe he wasn't just born, but Christian Pulisic definitely has arrived. This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivan Scalarsep, and TGIF, thank God it's Friday. Apologies for the late recording, the late drop of the latest SBI show. Had some technical difficulties, but I promised you guys I would get a show out every week, and the show is here. We're dropping it for you just before the Friday night matches in MLS, and a couple of pretty good Friday night matches, probably the best two matches of the weekend. We're going to talk about that, obviously, MLS Week 5, but of course, we have to go back and discuss the U.S. National Team World Cup qualifiers They got four points out of two matches, and all of a sudden, the U.S. is back in the mix in CONCACAF, in the hex, from disaster to stability in the Bruce Arena era. Part two, chapter two, is off to a good start. Hello, everybody. I'm Ivan Skolarsep, and yes, folks, we will talk about Christian Pulisic and how he has arrived and how he is indeed a superstar. And you know what? Anyone who knows me, anyone who listens to the show knows I'm always one to calm people down about the hype, about, you know, not overdoing it with the young players. I'm usually one of the first ones to say that. This time around, though, it's kind of tough to do it. It's kind of tough to do it just because uh, what he's done for club and for country and what he did in these last two matches. I'm sorry, folks. Uh, I'm done. I'm done holding it back. I'm done holding people back. If you want to get hyped, if you want to get hyped up about Christian Pulisic, if you want to talk about him being one of the best young 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 players in the world, one of the best young prospects in the world, go right ahead, folks. Because it's not hyperbole. It's not overdoing it. It's fact. It's reality. And we we've seen it at Borussia Dortmund. And I know a lot of us have, have tried to kind of temper our enthusiasm because, again, we have we have that we have that tr- that trauma. We have that uh, you know the the past experiences of of young talented Americans, promising young Americans who were hyped up and didn't live up to the hype. But listen, folks, Christian Pulisic. Every time we kind of set the bar high, he goes he he just jumps way above it. And uh, I think now you're seeing more and more people just kind of say, you know what, enough enough with the trying to hold back. Enough with with the the the, the kind of not giving him his due because you're afraid of what will happen. We know this kid is a different breed. This kid is something special. He can handle it. He obviously handled it when he went to Germany. He's handling it now as a starting uh, midfielder for the U.S. national team. And to be arguably, actually, I, you know, I guess you could say arguably, arguably the best American player in the March World Cup qualifiers. I would say it's not an argument. I'd say he was without a doubt the best player in the March World Cup qualifiers. Now that he's done that, along with everything he's done at Bruce G. Dortmund, it's just reality, folks, because, you know, there, there's there's extremes to this, right? There's extremes to how we handle a young player like Pulisic. On one end of the spectrum, you have people who go overboard. You have the overhype. You have the people who go crazy. And on the one hand, and then on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, you have the people who are overly cautious, the people who are, uh, you know, almost borderline negative out of out of fear of of giving a, a young player too much attention, too much credit, too much, uh, you know, too much love, right? But somewhere in the middle is the truth, right? Somewhere in the middle in the truth, although Pulisic pushes that truth a lot closer to the to the overhyping because it's just it's just reality. It's just reality. He's that good. I'm not going to go on and do the whole show talking about Christian Pulisic because there was a, there's so much to talk about. But I just had to start with that that whole kind of little soliloquy because this this kid is just doing things that n- that none of us have seen before in terms of an American. 
And even even forget an American or not an American. I mean, he's doing things that are that would be outstanding for a Brazilian, for for an Argentinian, for for a German, 18 years old, playing in Champions League games, getting a goal and an assist and a knockout round, deciding games, uh, you know, setting up scoring or helping set up four goals in a World Cup qualifier in a what was essentially a must-win World Cup qualifier, uh, going on the road, setting up the only goal in a crucial draw in road World Cup qualifier. I mean, he's the kid is doing it. The kid is getting it done. Uh, and and I'm on, I'm on board. I'm on board the hype train. I, I'm gonna I'm not gonna go too crazy, but I mean it's just reality. It's not hype. It's reality. He is that good. Um, I've written and I've written plenty about him in the past week. Uh, I, I wrote a piece actually uh, just recently for for Gold.com. Uh, we Gold.com named the top 50 best teenagers in the world in the world's game. Pulisic came in third. He was number three behind uh, Donnarumma, the goalkeeper at AC Milan, and uh, Mbappe, the uh, the striker from Monaco. And that's pretty heady company. And I know some people will say, wait a minute. There's got to be other 18, 19, year, uh, other teenagers in this world who are better than Pulisic. And you know what? Uh, go look. Go look. Uh, basically, the, the, the rankings were... Uh, all all people who who won't turn twenty until tw- until next year until twenty eighteen. So look at look at the. I mean, you can you can argue right. You can argue about some guys. Dembele, his own teammate. Uh, some of the guys on even on the Dortmund team with Pulisic. But I tell you what, folks, the kid is getting it done. But enough about Pulisic. We're gonna get into the full national team setup. We're gonna get into MLS, and we're gonna you know we're gonna try to touch on a couple different topics. But yes, the World Cup qualifiers have come and gone in March. The U.S. has four points, and now find themselves in fourth position in the CONCACAF standings, much better position than they were at the start of the month when they were in last place. And you know what? It's one step at a time. When you start off with two losses, it's not going to come right away. It's not going to, you're not going to go from last to first. Uh, and look, the U.S. beat Honduras. They beat them like a drum, 6-0 six, uh, in San Jose. I was there for that uh, in, a, in a cold and rainy San Jose, surprisingly enough, by their standards, cold and rainy. And Christian Pulisic and Clint Dempsey. How about Clint Dempsey, folks? Just when you think maybe Father Time's catching up, maybe it's time to close the door, maybe it's time to write that fine, that ending to the book that uh, that is Clint Dempsey, the national team star. He comes back and he gets the job done. He comes back, shows he still has plenty left in the tank. And I got to tell you, as much as I'm I'm sitting here hyped about Christian Pulisic, as much as fans are hyped about Christian Pulisic, you know Clint Dempsey is ecstatic about Christian Pulisic because he ha- Dempsey now has a player who can play on his level in terms of creativity, in terms of setting him up, reward- rewarding his runs, seeing what he sees. And there's already a connection there between these two. I mean, we've seen it. We saw it in two games. We saw it in two games. They combined for, I want to say they combined for four goals total. I mean, even the free kick goal that Dempsey scored, Pulisic, Drew the foul that set up the free kick, uh, along to go with the other assists. And then, of course, the Panama game. Uh, Christian Pulisic strips Felipe Beloy, just completely embarrasses him, gets around Roman Torres, and then just as cool as you like, as casually as could be, lays it on a platter to Clint Dempsey. So, you know what, Clint Dempsey, not, I mean, not, not that he was ready to fade away if, if Pulisic didn't show up, but Pulisic's arrival definitely has to light a spark under Dempsey because now Dempsey knows, hey, I have somebody who sees things like I see them, and who I can combine with and combine with and work well with. We saw it in the in the first game. Obviously, the Panama game, 
was a different beast altogether and was always going to be. Because when you go down to Panama, you're playing on that rough field, uh, the bumpy pitch, shout out to the, my boys, the bumpy pitch, um, and you're playing in, in the, the hostile environment, you got the weather, you got, I mean, all the elements, everything that's that, that you know, that sets that stage for a tough road game in Central America. Uh, but, you know, before we even get to that, Honduras, though, the Honduras game, so many good performances. I mean, who didn't play well? I mean, a lot of guys stepped up uh, real quick. Just some of the guys I want to talk about. Josie Altidore. And I said it last the last episode when I talked to Alexi Lalas. We had Alexi Lalas here and I said it. I think he gets a raw deal. I think a lot of people don't give him credit for how good he is and for what he is. And some people are just some people just don't like him because he's not what they want. They He's not that that, you know, best striker in the world type striker. But guess what, folks? He's good. He's very good. He can do a lot of things. One of the things he's doing better and better now is passing the ball. And we saw against Honduras, his passing was outstanding. And his combining with the the him combining with Pulisic and Dempsey to form that triangle in the attack was was just impressive. And I can't. I, I mean, I gotta say, not since uh, I think not since maybe Dem, when Dempsey, Donovan, and Beasley. We're working together as a triangle a decade ago. Can I recall that seeing that fun a group, that fun a, a, a trio working together in in a U.S. national team uniform? Uh, but Altidore, man, he he is important. He 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 does it. He gets it done. He gets it done in World Cup qualifying. He's gotten it done through his career in World Cup qualifying. But he still some some people are just not going to give him his credit. Some people are just not going to like him. And that's all well and good. But he's still an important player. He's still going to be a starter on this team as long as he's healthy. We obviously have to talk about the defense, uh, patchwork defense, so many injuries coming in. John Brooks ended up being out of this one. Uh, you know, five, DeAndre Yedlin, Jeff Cameron gets hurt for the for, for the second game, doesn't play in the second game. Uh, but there were some players who stepped up in these March qualifiers. Jorge Villafania, how about him? Uh, a guy who, you know, Jurgen Klinsmann just couldn't be bothered with, couldn't bother to give him a sniff. Even when Villafania was killing it with the Portland Timbers, even when Villafania fought and won a starting spot for Santos Laguna a year ago, uh, he wouldn't give him a look. He would not give him a look. And credit to Bruce Arena, he not he he gave Villafania a look when he didn't have to give him a look because at the time that he called him into the January camp, Villafania was not playing as was not starting for Santos Laguna. Definitely, not, he was not starting in the league at that point. He was getting some some Copa Mekis matches, but he wasn't playing a lot. But, v, but Bruce Arena did his homework. He knew the the, the qualities that Villafania could bring to the table. And let's face it, you know what? There's not a ton there at left back. So he gave him a shot. Villafania impressed in the camp in January. And then he brought him back. And you know what? Villafania, that gave Villafania some confidence. I had a chance to talk to Villafania in San Jose. And he said, you know, getting the chance to be in that camp, getting the chance to play in those friendlies in January gave him confidence going back to Santos Laguna. And it paid off in the in the in the form of him get, breaking into the Liga Mekis starting lineup for Santos Laguna. So now you add that to these performances that he just had. He played well. He played well in both games. And right now, folks, the left back job is via Fania's, uh until further notice. Until further notice. And you know what? If you're Bruce Arena and you're intent on Fabian Johnson staying in the midfield, you have to love what you're seeing. For more via Fania at left back. And how about right back, folks? It was a bit of a patchwork deal. Jeff Cameron starts the first game. Did, you know, did well, like he does. I mean, he's a solid player. You put him wherever and he'll play well. Second game, not so much against Panama. Graham Zusi, the experiment. But let's face it, folks. 
he was the like sixth option, arguably the seventh option, considering Timmy Chandler, you know, wasn't brought in for this second game. And you know, if you look at him as the seventh option, then you say, ah, oh, you know what? He 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 got beat a few times. He was out of position a few times. But as the seventh option goes, wasn't terrible. And it, it, I did find it interesting that some people actually had the audacity to say, well, you know, Bruce Arena should have brought in Timmy Chandler for this game. And I would counter with by saying. Have you people not seen Timmy Chandler play in Central America? No one should ever want to see that again. We saw it a few times. Didn't look good. As good as he's looking in the Bundesliga, he it it doesn't translate or hasn't translated over to the national team. Even when Chandler has been playing excellently for Eintracht Frankfurt, it hasn't translated over to the national team. So if you're Bruce Arena and you know that track record and you say to yourself, you know what? I need points in these games. I need po- I need a point in this Panama game. Do I really want to send Timmy Chandler down to Central America where he has had nightmare performances? Do I really want to do that? No, I definitely do not. I'd rather go with Graham Zussi, who's had some good 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 experiences down in Central America. San Zussi. San Zussi. We all remember San Zussi. So there you go. And it was it, it wasn't perfect? Definitely not. But he got the job done. And another, the, the defender that I tell you, for me, that I came away most impressed with is Omar Gonzalez because he has gotten better, folks. Even I know when he was with the LA Galaxy, he was you know one of the top defenders in the league. He won titles. But he almost always got the sense that as well as he was playing, he could, he could be playing better. He, if he was in playing at a higher level in a tougher league, he could improve that, that he hadn't reached his ceiling. Well, folks, he's in Mexico now. He's playing for Pachuca. It's a better league. Pachuca's a, a strong team. He's playing in competitions. He's playing in Champions League. Uh, you know what? He is gaining invaluable experience, and he is getting better as a player. And we've seen it. We've seen it now in these games in March for the U.S., especially the second game. Second game, he was the boss of the defense. No Jeff Cameron, no John Brooks, no DeAndre Edlin, no problem. Omar Gonzalez led the defense, and and played really well. And I tell you what, now, going forward, maybe, you know what, maybe Bruce, Bruce Arena has some questions now. Maybe he has to think about, okay, Omar Gonzalez looks damn good at right center back. Maybe Jeff Cameron stays at right back. Maybe I keep him there ahead of DeAndre Yedlin. Uh, it's something to think about. It absolutely is. So I thought he did well. Tim, Tim Ream, we all know about Tim Ream and in, the his, in his history, He's had some blunders. If you want to go far back, like six years back, he's had he had some blunders early in his career, club and country. And we were kind of reminded of that against Panama when he when he kind of turned away on a long throw in, let the ball bounce off of him, fell into the path of Gabriel Gomez, who scored the equalizing goal against Panama. It was an ugly play. It was a bad play. Bad job by Tim Ream on that play. But guess what? I was impressed with how Tim Ream responded to that. Because I remember 2011 Tim Ream. 2011 Tim Ream could not get out of his own way. 2011 Tim Ream had meltdowns in terms of performances. He Tim Ream in 2011 just had some games where where, where and just made some mistakes that where you're just like, what is wrong with this guy? Um, because he just would be he would think he would, he would overthink things. He'd be nervous. He he wouldn't you know he wouldn't play the way he could like really could play. His, he couldn't play his best. Now. Against Panama, he makes that mistake. And it was what it was. It was a mistake. It was a bad play. But he shook it off. He shook it off and he played well. And he killed it. I, th- I mean, you look at the stats and you look at the number of clearances that he had and the number of plays he broke up in that second half breakaway where Omar, where you know him and Omar Gonzalez were upfield. 
Panama broke on the counter. Omar Gonzalez races back, forces a cutback, and who's there to block the shot? Timmery blocks the shot. Great play by him. Now, to be fair, he also was beaten on a play where Luis Tejada could have scored a goal, but credit to Tim Howard. He made a great save. I'll give you that. But I like what I saw from Tim Ream, and he's he's in the conversation for, for that second left center back spot behind John Brooks. The job is still John Brooks, folks. Healthy John Brooks, he's still your guy. He's still your guy, folks. I, I, I like I, you know. I know some people still are a little uncertain about John Brooks, you know, and, and all that. But he's still the guy. He's still your starter. But I like what I saw from Reem. And, and these two games were something to build on for Reem, heading to the summer qualifiers, heading to the Gold Cup. He he's ahead of Matt Beasler right now. And I know people who remember Beasler being a starter in the last hex and being a starter at the last at the World Cup 2014 and, and thinking, okay, that you know, he can give you something steady. He's got that experience. But you know what, Tim Reeve, you got to give him credit. He's starting at Fulham now. He's playing regularly. Give him his due, folks. The guy's playing well. And even though he did make a couple of mistakes in this Panama game, I thought he shook him off. And I, I thought he showed something. So credit there, credit there. And you know, overall, uh some other some other people to point out. Michael Bradley. Much better first game than second game. I don't think Bradley got enough credit in, from the, in the Honduras game for what he do, did. And not only the scoring of the beautiful goal, the second goal that really kind of broke things open for the U.S. and gave them a comfortable cushion. But just his passing, his movement, his, his, his he played that defensive midfield role perfectly in that, you know, that kind of that dime was essentially a diamond. Um, you know, he was back there by himself. Uh, and second game was not not on that level. Second game was not as good. It was an ugly game. He didn't play his best. Jermaine Jones certainly didn't play his best, and that's something else to talk about, absolutely. But Michael Bradley overall, again, another guy who some people, for the life of me, I can't understand why, some people want to want to seriously sit there and say he's not the best defensive midfield option. I'm sorry, folks. We're going to have to disagree Michael Bradley is absolutely the best defensive midfield option in the pool, bar none. It's not even a discussion. You can hate him all you want. You can dwell on every missed pass he delivers. You can overreact every time it's something that he tries doesn't come off. It doesn't change the fact that the guy gets the job done. The guy covers tons of ground. He connects the defense to the midfield and attack. He breaks things up. He has a presence in the midfield, and I just think some people just don't give him the credit. I just think, has he had some games where you're that were not up to par? Absolutely. I give you that. But I don't know. I just think some people, are, it's almost like they want him to not do well. They want like they they want, to, they want him to stumble so they can kind of jump on him and go get the new guy. Because it's always about the, the next guy. It's always about the guy not playing. Because that guy would be amazing. You know, Danny Williams would be unbelievable if you played him in the, if you put him in the starting lineup. It's not that's not the case. That's not necessarily the case. If you really think a Danny Williams or any of these other guys who could play defensive midfield would really be better than Michael Bradley, I just we're just gonna have to disagree. But it is what it is. Opinions vary. That's always gonna be the case. But that Honduras performance, man, credit, credit to Bruce Arena, credit to his players. And if I'm Honduran, I have some questions about. Pinto, Jorge Luis Pinto, the head coach. I heard rumblings out of Honduras, out of from the Honduras camp that I mean, he had these guys training hours upon hours, uh, burning them out for whatever godforsaken reason. They trained in Florida. They trained in Fort Myers, Florida, ahead of this game in San Jose, California. They flew to California. We're talking full across full cross country flight two days before a World Cup qualifier. 
they did that when they didn't have to. And I know they tried to put the story out that, oh, oh you know, U.S. soccer didn't help us. They didn't get us training fields. It was a load. It was a load of bull. It was a load of bull. They wanted to save money. So they did that. They went to Fort Myers where it was cheaper than to stay in Northern California. They saved money, but guess what? It probably cost them a couple of goals. Not to say, oh, if they had stayed in downtown San Jose, they win that game. No. But when you saw them getting just da- <laughs> getting pummeled on Friday, that looked like a tired team. So, you know what? We'll see how long Pinto lasts as the coach. And we all know how good he how good a job he did against, uh for Costa Rica at the 2014 World Cup, but I don't know, man. I, I don't know if how long he is, how much longer he is for that job. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe they give him the boot. Maybe they give my man, Amado Guevara, the job. Cause I mean, how fitting would that be? Right. Cause right now you have former Red Bulls head coach, Metro Sargent is a coach. Juan Carlos Osorio head coach is co- is the head coach of Mexico. F- former Red Bulls head coach, Bruce Arena is the head coach of the United States. Former Metro Stars head coach, Octavio Zambrano is the head coach of Canada. Now, in case you missed that, I think we talked about it recently. Last but certainly not least, former uh, Metro Star slash Red Bulls captain, Amado Guevara, head coach of Honduras. How about that? That'd be interesting. That'd be interesting. But the Panama game, folks, I find it interesting that some people are kind of up in arms at the fact that the U.S. didn't win the game. They didn't go down there to win. And it's like, come on, people. Don't you know the history of the of the hex and how tough games can be? And yes, I know. Look, Panama's won. Panama's home record in the hex is not good at all. That doesn't mean that it's easy to go down there and get the points. Mexico went down there and didn't get didn't get a win either. People seem to forget that Mexico went to Panama and they got a draw in November. So it's not so easy to just smash and grab three points down there. Especially when Panama, especially in the first half, looked like a team that was playing for a draw. They opened it up in the second half, but in the first half, they looked like a uh, that rare case of a home team that was going to be happy with a point. And at the end of the day, they were happy with a point. I mean, Hernandez Rio Gomez said as much before the game. The day before the game, the Panama coach pretty much said, look, ain't no shame in our game. We'll take a point. Because we're not one of the powerhouses of CONCACAF. We're not one of the, in his words, we're not one of the rich teams here. So for us, we're not we, we're not going to be greedy. We'll be happy taking a point off the, off the big boys. That's pretty much what he said. And that's what they did. So you know what? It's tough to play a team who's actually a pretty good team. And then is and playing for that draw, it's, it's, not, it's not easy, folks. It's not easy, folks. And not to completely absolve the U.S., could they have played better? Absolutely. They're guys who definitely could have played better. Jermaine Jones, for one, I wasn't happy with what I saw from Jermaine Jones. And at the same, I'm starting to wonder, right? I mean, at his age, how much does he have left? And I know, it, it, you know, it, it's interesting because, I mean, he, he shows you flashes. And, and it, it shouldn't be overlooked that he he hit the long pass that, that set up Pulisic one-on-one with Felipe Beloy when he stripped Beloy and, and and set up the goal for Clint Dempsey. It shouldn't be forgotten. He has those plays. He has those moments. But it's been I've said it on this show over and over. Jermaine Jones is not a disciplined player in terms of tactical discipline, tactical uh, just an understanding of where he should be. I mean, the guy does what he wants. There's no other way to say it. He does what he wants. Sometimes can he stick to the script? Sure. A lot of times, though, he freelances, and uh, there's not. It's 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 a bit of a luxury. It's a bit of a luxury, and 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 now when you look at Christian Pulisic, 
who who in the Honduras game looked amazing as a playmaker, as an attacking midfielder. Michael Bradley looks so good as a defensive midfielder in what was a, in what was a diamond, basically a diamond midfield. When you look at that and you say to yourself, you know what? You have these good wingers, Fabian Johnson when he's healthy, uh, Donaldson Agby, another guy who 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 boosted his stock national team wise. Um, you uh, you know Alejandro Bedoya. You have wing options. So do you need Jermaine Jones in your starting lineup? And and that's a that's a question. That's a serious question, especially since the U.S. doesn't play again until June. It's a lot of time, and there are younger options coming up the pipe. Coming up the pipeline, Kellen Acosta. I mean, look, Kellen Acosta, the kid is playing really well. Emerson Hyndman's playing really well. Uh, speaking of Emerson Hyndman, yes, he is our guest on this episode of the SBI show. I actually spoke to uh, Emerson Hyndman last Friday, the day of the U.S. Uh, Honduras game. So in case you were wondering why we didn't talk about the World Cup qualifiers on uh, in our interview, it's because the interview happened before those games. But Emerson Hyndman's another guy. Uh, Sebastian Legette was one of those guys, but now he's injured and he's out for four to six months. Devastating blow. And that's, you, you got, you hit, you have to hate seeing that, right? Because talk about a storybook, uh, moment for him in San Jose, hometown kid from nearby scores the opening goal in front of the home fans. He's going crazy. He's happy. He's excited, ecstatic. This is what he's been, been aiming towards for months. And then shortly after he gets just Butchered by Ever Alvarado, the Honduran the Honduran defender just butchered him, slide tackle, and, and and messed up his foot, and now he's out for four to six months. He's having surgery. Just a brutal blow. But back to the point, Jermaine Jones. You know what? There's a there's a lot of younger guys. There's a lot of younger guys that you know you got to start taking a look at. And I just wonder how much longer we go with this Jermaine Jones experiment. Uh, it's not an experiment, but how long? How much longer the Jermaine Jones era is going to last? That's what I want to know because he's he's up there. He's his age. I mean, at a certain point, yes, he's a, he was he was a very very good player. He's had some really good performances for the national team. Nobody disputes that he loves the national team and that he plays for it and that his heart's in it. He is de- he has never been one of those guys that people have had the side eye about and that people have had the questions about guys like Timmy Chan or guys like John Brooks. Uh, you know, there are, you know, those are the guys that people have questions about. Not Jermaine Jones. Jermaine Jones is pretty much, you know, everyone knows what it means to him. Everybody knows what playing for the units as means for Jermaine Jones. But guess what, folks? You can't, you can't, nobody beats Father Time. Father Time is undefeated. And at a certain point, he's 35 years old, people. He's 35. He's going to be 36 in November. At a certain point, it's time. At a certain point, it's time to move to the next guys, to move to the next options. And there are, believe it or not, there are other options. There are other midfield options. Guys who, who you know, are they as seasoned as a Jermaine Jones? Are they as tough as a Jermaine Jones? No. Are they as powerful as a Jermaine Jones? No, but those, but they, there's guys with potential. Kellen Acosta. Kellen Acosta, I mean, you watch him play. The, I mean, he's, he's, he's already starting off a breakout season. Emerson Hyndman who can play in a box-to-box role, killing it at, at, at Glasgow Rangers, and who will be back in the Premier League next year. He'll be back. He'll get off that loan, and he's going to, if you're Bournemouth, you bring him back in a heartbeat. You see what he's doing in Scotland, and you're going to say to yourselves, here's a guy who, you know what, if not for an injury early in, in, in preseason, who knows what kind of role he could have had with Bournemouth. But here he is doing his thing at Rangers and, and killing it. So you have those kind of guys coming up the pipeline. So Jermaine Jones, you know what, no offense, 
Don't take it personally. Don't take it. You know, this I, this isn't does not make me a hater because I have questions about how much longer you have. That, that's not. That's just absurd. That's not absurd. That's just. It's an observation. It might be time for Jermaine Jones to move on. It might be time, or not even move on. Right? Maybe you keep him around. Maybe you have him when you need that guy to come on the field and really impose himself. Maybe you know what? Maybe, so I, I won't even. I won't even say give him the boot. I just say. I don't know if he's a guy who necessarily has to start. So there you go. And we'll see. We'll see what Bruce Arena does. I, you know what? If there's a coach, you know what? If it, When it comes to Jurgen Klinsmann, uh, you know, I know Jurgen Klinsmann has never been shy about giving people the hook that when they need to give him the hook. But I think Bruce Arena will have a shorter leash with Jermaine Jones than, than Jurgen Klinsmann would have had if he was still the coach. So we'll see. It's interesting to see. We will see in the summer. We will see who's starting in Azteca against Mexico. That's that's going to be the telltale. That could be it. For me, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay it out here. I think that could be the last hurrah for Jermaine Jones. I think that, because you know what? That's the kind of game where I could see Bruce Arena looking at Jermaine Jones and saying, you know what? He might be a freelancer. He might not be the most disciplined guy. But damn it, the guy is tough as ball. He's tough as nails. But damn it. Jermaine Jones is tough as nails. He's tough as iron. He will not back down. The Azteca environment will not intimidate him. Let me put him on the field for that game. And then after that, it might, you know, after the June qualifiers, it's time to look at the next generation. That's what I think is going to happen, folks. But you know what? Overall, positive. It's a positive, folks. A draw in Panama after a win in Honduras. Four points. It's a positive. Now, you, now you're heading. The next qualifier is home against Trinidad. You have to like their chances at home against Trinidad, uh, I believe, uh, reportedly in in Colorado. You, you you know what? They should get the two points there. So all of a sudden, you're on seven points going to Mexico City. You know, a loss in Mexico City doesn't kill you, but you know what? You're on seven points. You get a draw in Mexico like you did in, in 2013. And you know what? And all of a sudden, there the climb is happening, and all of a sudden, you're knocking on the door of a Costa Rica. Because, listen, the way it looks right now, Mexico is running away with this heck. This hex, and no one should be surprised. This Mexico team is a good team. Juan Carlos Osorio is a very good coach, and he deserves his credit. Um, I think he's re- he's rebounded well from the debacle of, of Chile and the Copa America, and what he's done in qualifying has been impressive. You, you know, you can say what you want about Mexico getting lucky against Trinidad. They should have it should have been a draw, it should have been a loss, whatever. That Mexico defense held down Trinidad in a way that Mexico hasn't been able to do in the last couple games. If you remember. In the was it the 2015 Gold Cup or or in 2015, Mexico played Trinidad twice. They gave up seven goals against them, seven. So to pitch the shutout against Trinidad, uh, you deserve they deserve some credit for that. So credit to them. They are gonna they are look they're looking like the team that's gonna run away with the hex. And I know it's early, but I think that's what's gonna happen. So from there, the question is, if you're the U.S., can you get up to second place? Can you pass Costa Rica? Obviously, you want to make sure you're in the top three. That above all, that's the most important thing. But I think, you know what, I think people now have enough confidence now. When you look at Pulisic developing, Josie Altidore playing well, the fact that the bench was tested in these games and it passed the test. No Bobby Wood, no Fabian Johnson, no Jeff Cameron uh, in the second game, no John Brooks, no Timmy Chandler, no DeAndre Edlin. A lot of guys, a lot of guys who would start. And these, and you know what, U.S. got four points, so... Try not to be too. If you're a U.S. fan, try not to come away from these March qualifiers feeling unhappy, unsatisfied. Because four points is good, especially given the injuries and what the U.S. had to deal with. 
Well, that's it on the national team front. The U.S. national team returns to action uh, closer to the summer. Uh, right now, they're scheduled to have their two qualifiers against Trinidad and Tobago in Colorado. That hasn't been officially announced, but that's what the reporting uh, suggests. And then obviously going down to Mexico City to take on Mexico in uh, what should be the latest in a memorable series uh, down there uh, at Estadio Azteca. Uh, and then, of course, you have the Gold Cup this summer. Uh, the next thing you're going to want to focus on as a U.S. fan is the Under-20 World Cup, which uh, starts in May in South Korea. Ted Ramos is going to have himself a pretty strong team for that one. No Christian Pulisic, but he will. He should uh, have the likes of Cameron Carter-Vickers, uh, Gideon Zalalem, and and obviously the the players who took part in qualifying. So it should be a, should be a good team that that can can do some damage in that one. Uh, from my understanding, he's not going to have everybody at his disposal. It doesn't sound like uh, certain players will be made available, but um, for the most part, it should be a good team that that shows up for that. So you're going to want to keep an eye out uh, for that in the coming months. Uh, unfortunately, you're going to have to make do with with club soccer for the for the next few months and nothing wrong with that you have mls play you have the uefa champions league you have european soccer there's plenty uh to keep you going for the next couple of months uh next up we're going to talk americans abroad and uh bobby wood is back at training obviously he was injured just before the the recent world cup qualifiers he suffered a bit of a back injury but he's back training and as you might have heard uh, the teams are lining up to to try to sign him and try to buy him uh, pry him away from Hamburg. There's teams in England that are int- that are reportedly interested. Everton has been mentioned as a team, although Everton has been mentioned with se- with several strikers, including Kyle Aaron of Orlando City. Uh, but Wood is back, and and you want to see him finish out the year uh, in the same top form that he's been enjoying lately for uh, for Hamburg. Next up, Jonathan Klinsman. Speaking of Everton, Jonathan Klinsman is on trial at Everton, and again, this is a training stint, folks. Unfortunately, in Europe, they don't. They don't. They, there's no such thing as training stints. Everything's a trial. If you train, if you're not a part of the team and you go train with that team, it's a trial. So in theory, it's a trial because yes, if they love him enough, they'll sign him. Uh, but it's a training stint, uh, much like Eric Klinovsky went there for a training stint, and you know any number of American goalkeepers that have passed through Everton uh, for training stints. Uh, it's not a new thing. Although Klinsman coming off of the Under Twenty World Cup qualifying tournament performance that where he won the golden glove award for the top goalkeeper in the tournament uh you it's uh it's good to see him kind of test things out obviously Jurgen Klinsmann wants believes younger players should test themselves in Europe so of course his son you would like to think he's going to try to see what he can find as far as an opportunity in Europe or if he's going to go back to Cal for another season of college soccer uh that one uh that remains to be seen uh speaking of Americans abroad our guest on this week's show is one of is one of that contingent of Americans abroad, but not one of the ones who was with the U.S. national team recently in World Cup qualifying. Uh, we have Emerson Hindman of Glasgow Rangers on loan from Bournemouth in the Premier League. And, and those of you who are American soccer fans, U.S. national team, U.S. youth national team fans will obviously know Emerson Hindman's name because he has been a prospect for ye- since he was 10, 11, 12 years old. Uh, he was he he was that that kind of pr- prodigal uh, player that 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 prodigy that people thought oh th- th- this is going to be the superstar. No, I have to say this year we've really started to see him put things together uh, in Scotland with Glasgow Rangers. He's scoring goals uh, pretty regularly now, playing in a variety of positions and doing well on loan. Uh, overcoming what was uh, an unfortunate injury early in preseason for Bournemouth that 
really jeopardized the playing time. And, uh, you know, he, he was stuck on the bench for the first half of the year. Fortunately, he was able to find this loan, and he's thriving at Glasgow Rangers. And we have him on the SBI show to talk any number of topics. Ladies and gentlemen, Emerson Hyman. Emerson, how are you doing today? Yeah, doing good. Thank you. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, obviously, you're you're one of the the players who one of the Americans playing overseas is doing really well now. You you've uh, since you've gone gone over to Scotland, you've found your goal scoring boots and uh, you're putting in some goals and you're playing really well. What's what's been the key to that kind of smooth transition from Bournemouth, uh, where you were for for half a season, and then to jump right into in, into the Scottish league and and do as well as you're doing. Uh, well, I think a lot of it goes down to um, the way I was prepared going into, um, you know, into January. You know, I was quite fit and not match fit, but I was quite fit in terms of my running and being able to keep up with the pace. So that really helped. And, and I grew with confidence as I realized that I could go 90 minutes without really struggling. So, And as soon as I started playing games, I knew that confidence would kick in. So uh, I'd probably put it down to the fitness level as when I when I arrived, and I got to give uh, Bournemouth credit for that. Now, obviously, uh, Rangers is a club with a lot of history, and it's you know it's one of the more well-known clubs in the world. And there's history, obviously, with American players having played there, guys like Claudio Reyna, Bocanegra, Moedu, Mo Bedoya. There's a pretty good list. Have you kind of gotten a sense there that the the, the history of the Americans that have played there, and, and also just the history of the club, has it kind of not surprised you, but has it impressed you just how big a club it is? Yeah, for sure. That's the first thing that they tell you when you arrive. You know, they 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 tell you it's a massive club, and and it and it really is. You know, I've I've I found out it's it's really a privilege to play for a team like Rangers. You know, they have so much history, so much good history, and you know, obviously when I walked in the building, you know, of all the old Americans that played there, and even you know Gideon last year, I got his uh, input on uh, what it was like last year, and he had nothing but great things to say. So. I knew kind of the history they had with Americans, and it's, it's all been positive. So, no, it was really exciting for me to make my move. Now, you were just recently able to play in, in the in the famous rivalry, the, the uh, Rangers-Celtic match. Uh, they don't call it the old firm anymore, or at least the fans don't. Uh, apparently, one, I think one of your teammates might have gotten in trouble, or was it someone from the other team got a little, uh, in a little trouble with the fans for calling it uh, the old firm in a tweet? But it's still a great match, great rivalry, great atmosphere. What was that like? playing in that in that rivalry oh it was uh it was, it was a crazy day you know because you know you hear so much about it you you know i've seen them in the past on tv you you realize how big of an occasion it is but to play them one's a completely different feeling you know when you're when you show up expect you know obviously it was away from home for us so we showed up and tons of fans outside just giving us abuse as we walked in and, and you can tell it was already a different kind of game than you've ever played before and, you know, when, when everyone hypes it up so much, telling you, you know, the atmosphere is going to be something you've never experienced before. Obviously, you have these uh, butterflies in your stomach, but at the same time, you can't wait to get going. And it's definitely a game I'll never forget. Now, obviously, you're, you're, you've gone to Rangers on loan from Bournemouth, and you joined Bournemouth last summer uh, from, from Fulham. And now, obviously, you got off to a bit of a rough start. You suffered an injury early in, in, in training camp uh, with Bournemouth. So it kind of obviously affected your ability to, to have that transition you would have liked. How tough was that to kind of deal with? And, and how much do you think uh, this experience at Rangers is going to help you once you go back to Bournemouth and fight for that playing time? Yeah, it was uh, it was really frustrating for me because, you know, I was really excited to be there. And uh, for it to happen so quickly, um, you know, just twisted my ankle. And, you know, it took a, took a few weeks to really you know, heal up to where I could train. And, you know, obviously, if you're behind in preseason, it's really tough to recover as much as you want to in terms of coming back and being as fit as the other guys. So I think I was um, 
I was always a step behind going into the season, which is never good. And uh, unfortunately, I found myself kind of not involved in in the in the game. So, so when the when the opportunity kind of came to you know obviously obviously go to Rangers, when I heard about the interest, I was really excited. And you know the fact that Bournemouth was on board and and really told me that they think it would be good for me just kind of made up my mind even more. Now, now obviously you're you're doing really well. You're playing really well. And uh, when you're when an American is playing well overseas. Uh, it, it does help your chances with the national team. You've had a couple of caps with the senior national team. How, how kind of anxious are you to get back into that fold, into that national team conversation? Oh, of course. I'm really, really anxious to you know, hopefully get involved as soon as I can really with the national team. It's it's always disappointing when you don't get called in, and especially when you're kind of playing regularly. And, you know, but at the same time, I'm growing with confidence as, as the season goes. And, you know, I'm, I'm focused on Rangers as much as I can. But when obviously when international break comes around, you want to be involved. Now, one of the guys on the U.S. team now, Kellen Acosta, someone you know really well. You guys have a bit of a mm-hmm. history. Tell me a little about that. And, and, and I mean, is it, uh, it, I take it it's no surprise to you that he's doing the, the, as well as he's doing. Yeah, we, you know, we grew up together in uh, Plano, Texas, and played together for a number of years with um, FC Dallas and even against each other when we were younger. So I've known him for a long time, and he has a great attitude about not just football, but in general. You know, he's a very happy guy. And, no, I've been been trying to watch as much as I can of uh, you know FC Dallas and keeping up with them, just seeing how they're doing. And it seems like he's made a flying start to the year in terms of uh, you know he scored a couple goals even. So delighted for him. Obviously getting called in, it's a great moment for him. And you know I'm I'm really anxious to see what he does in the future for the season. Now another young player that's here is uh, Christian Pulisic, who's obviously making headlines left and right. Uh, when you see a player like that, I mean, he's 18 years old, 18 year old American who's really do, uh, really killing it right now. Uh, what, what is that? Is that is that kind of serve as a motivator, an inspiration? What, what, what do you, is it? How does that feel to see to see someone breaking through like that? Uh, I just think it's brilliant for American soccer in general. You know, I think it's. I don't think we've seen a player that quickly, that age, kind of break through like that and really make that sort of impact. You know, it's you know obviously he's doing really special things at Dortmund and. You know, playing in the Champions League matches and things like that at the highest level, uh, I think it's brilliant. And uh, I've I've enjoyed watching him play on those nights. And I've never played with him, but uh, obviously um, I hope to have the chance in the future because you no, know, he looks a great talent. That, no, not to make you sound old because I say he's 18 and he's young, but you're 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 still actually very young. You're 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 gonna you're 20 years old. You turn 21 uh, in a couple weeks actually. Do, do you feel older than your age? Because I mean, you've been you've been in this for so long. I feel I have usually when that happens when there's someone whose name has kind of been in the mix at an early early age. People just assume they're older than they are. So, I mean, do you, uh, has it all gone pretty fast for you? Here you are. You're almost turning 21. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously I've been in Europe for a while, you know, since I was 15. So, you know, I, I think I made my move probably younger than a lot of and other Americans have. And uh, I, I don't feel old for sure, but um, at the same time. So you're definitely not old. Don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't feel old yet for sure. But no, I, I know I got a... I, I, I have a good uh, head on me, I think. You know, I've been through a lot, uh, you know, good and bad experiences. So, you know, I try to keep um, keep my head level and just train hard, work hard. And, you know, when chances arrive, uh, I've learned you just got to take them. Now, it, it, when it comes to American soccer, we, we've seen some, some talented young players 
come through and, and get a lot of hype, right? And then obviously that can become overwhelming and there's a lot of instances of, of guys who maybe don't live up to the hype or who, who kind of struggle with it. Now, now you, I know you were, you were getting attention as a, as a 12 year old, the 11 year old, which was definitely a first. I mean, you, I think you were the first that I can remember at that age that people actually knew who you were and were saying this kid is the future. What was that like to kind of deal with? And, and, and what do you think was the key to, to, to you not kind of succumbing to that and, and falling into that and feeding into that? When you're 11, 12 years old, you don't really notice you know, all the media, you know, all that kind of stuff. And when you have a family like mine that really makes sure you stay grounded and, you know, tells you to work hard and keep focused and everything like that, when you have the support that my family gave me, it really it really helps you just to ignore everything and just try to improve yourself. And, and you know, my friends were the same. You know, my friends never treated me any different to anyone else, which was nice at that age, you know, because it's very easy to... Um, to hype a kid even even more up if, if if they're younger than you and you know you want to push them on so uh no i was really thankful to have family and friends that really just kind of guided me the right direction and for people who aren't familiar with with, with uh, your history obviously you came up through the fc dallas system and your, grand, your, your grandfather was a former coach of, of dallas uh, shell assignment <laughs> and uh you know it's it, it's it's interesting to see it's great to see how much talent has come through that pipeline it, through the years and you're obviously part of that uh that group as well i mean how, how much do you kind of keep tabs of what's going on with FC Dallas. I know it's tough being overseas, but they're, they're doing really well now. I mean, as a team, they've really blossomed and they, they won a couple of trophies last year. They're looking good this year for, for an MLS Cup. Uh, how much do you kind of, how much are you able to keep track of that? And is the plan one day for you to come back and play for FC Dallas? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, like you said, it's kind of tough sometimes to keep up just because of the time difference and everything. Games are normally shown quite late over here, but I try to get the score as much as I can in the morning and Obviously, I, I know Kellen's made a great start, which is nice. And, you know, just to see the team doing well under Oscar, who I also know, Oscar Perea. He used to coach me when I was younger. Uh, it's always nice to see, you know, old old friends that you know uh, succeed at that level. And so, yeah, I keep tabs on them, and uh, I really hope they have a good year because they had a good year last year. But uh, I hope they can make an effort to make it all the way this year. And in terms of the future, I mean, you never know. But, you know, I, I think it's better to live in the present, you know, and live week by week and, and really just, you know, if it becomes that later in the future, then, then it does. But it, obviously I'm focused on what I'm doing at the moment and, you know, trying to get Rangers wins, really. Right, right. Now, have you uh, talking back to the national team? Have you had a, a chance to have any conversations with Bruce Arena? And uh, you know, do you, how do you feel like you're close? I mean, as well as you're playing, you're playing really well right now. Do you feel like you're pretty close to, to kind of breaking back in? Um, I haven't, I haven't spoken to Bruce not not yet, no. But um, you know, I've heard he's a good guy, a good coach, and you know, all I can do is really just keep working hard, keep playing the games, and. Uh, and, and really trying to make an impact in, in the games I play here and, um, and try to help the team win. Uh, that's all I can really do. I can only focus on myself and uh, while I'm here. And, you know, if they're keeping tabs on me, uh, that's great. And, I, you know, I, I hope I get the get a shot in the future to, um, to hopefully impress not just him but uh, all the U.S. in the future, you know, and try to, you know, I hope to have a shot maybe at the Gold Cup in the summer. That's kind of uh, what I'm aiming for. I think that would be a good time maybe. Uh, make an impact but but you never know that all i can do is uh work hard and try to get into the uh, squad well i'll tell you what you're, do, you're doing really well you're uh you're you're playing some of the best soccer among the americans abroad and you, you you've also apparently joined you've joined a select group of americans who've gone overseas and picked up a little bit of an accent 
I definitely hear it. I don't know what it is. I don't know what accent. It's kind of a hybrid, some kind of accent. But do you hear that? And 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 how conscious are you of not picking up an accent? I'm I'm pretty conscious of it now. You know, it's it's every time I speak to an American that. It, it all of a sudden sounds a lot more British. Because when, when I'm around the British guys, it's not so bad. You know, they, right. they still think I sound American. But, but no, I, I definitely have a different vocabulary than when I came here. <laughs> right, right. I can hear you fighting accents. I I feel like you, you're American and then the in the UK influence, and then you sound like you're from, like, Boston or something. I don't know. It's a little, it's a little different. You're, you're definitely not alone. I mean, I, even most recently, I think Brad Guzan's a guy who comes to mind who's recently had has picked up a bit of an accent. So it, it's natural. It's not, it's not a, you know. I don't know if you're gonna end up sounding like Brad Fiedel, but uh, it's, it's yeah. Uh, I just hope I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're definitely not. So the question is, are you gonna pick up the Scottish accent? Because that's, I mean, that's a pretty, t- you know. Oh, that's that's yeah, that's definitely impossible for me. <laughs> that's that's never happening. Do you, do you have trouble keeping up with the with the with the Scottish uh, brogue when, when when these guys get talked? Because I I've known quite a few Sc- Scottish guys through the years, and it's uh, you know, if if you're not familiar with it, it, it can be tough to keep up. Yeah, yeah. When I first arrived, it was definitely a definitely a task trying to figure out what they were saying. But um, <laughs> but no, I mean, cer- certain guys have thick accents, others aren't so bad. So you know, you just kind of I say so- you know sorry and excuse me, what did you say? A lot. So uh, no, it's, it's a bit different, but uh, yeah, it's all good. Right, but you won't be you won't have that accent anytime soon. Yeah. Oh, no chance. No right, chance. Right. All right. Well, Emerson, I definitely appreciate the time and congrats on all the success. And uh, hopefully we'll see you this summer at the Gold Cup. Uh, I know I know that tournament's definitely going to be a good showcase uh, for, for all the players who are, who are trying to break their way in with the full squad with Bruce Arena. And uh, uh, I think you're well on your way. So uh, thanks for coming on. No, thanks a lot for having me. So that was Emerson Heidman. Uh, he and Rangers play host to Motherwell. On Saturday, uh, uh, for those of you not keeping track, Emerson Heinemann with four goals in 10 matches since joining Rangers on loan. Uh, he actually has a new manager at Rangers now. Uh, former Santos Laguna boss Pedro Caixinha, uh, I believe he managed uh, Hercules Gomez when he was at Santos Laguna as well. So uh, a name and a face that might be familiar to some American fans. And now he is Emerson Heinemann's boss for the rest of this season. Moving on from Americans abroad, we obviously have to talk about MLS, MLS Week 5 fast approaching, and for those of you saying, well, what happened in Week 4, there were actually three games in MLS Week 4. You might have missed them as, as you were recovering from the party that was the 6-0 U.S. win over Panama. Uh, Columbus Crew handed Portland their first loss of the season. Impressive win for Greg Berhalter's men. No question there. Uh, New England Revolution beating Minnesota. And once again, Minnesota struggling when it comes to defense, giving up another five goals. And they're on their way to giving up, I believe, north of 5,000 goals this year. Uh, Adrian Heath is going to want to sort that out. Maybe go to a 9 uh, nine one zero formation, or I don't know what he's going to do, but they, you know, they they need to they need to sort that out. Actually, as much as I joke about Minnesota, I think this could be the week that they get their first win. We'll get into that a little bit later. But first, there's plenty of news to get into uh, in terms of in terms of MLS. Some big news. Oh, I almost forgot. I don't want to forget. Uh, although Red Bulls fans might want to forget, Red Bulls and RSL with the draw zero zero. A bit of a snoozer. I missed that one. I was commuting back from San Jose, and I guess I, I guess I didn't miss much. I don't mind it too much. Uh, credit to Van Ockel, the RSL goalkeeper, stepping in for Nick Romando, and credit to my man Daryl Shore. He's the interim coach. Gets in there, gets a point at Red Bull Arena, which isn't easy to do. So credit to him uh, on that one. 
Uh, and of course, RSL, speaking of RSL, we're going to get into talking about the news of the week. Real Salt Lake hires Mike Pecky as their new head coach, replacing Jeff Kassar. Uh, shouldn't be of a surprise. I mean, if he, if you were going to ask me who I would pick, given the circumstances, I would have picked Mike Pecky. I personally didn't think it was going to be Pecky because I was given the complete impression by the people that I had spoken to around the time he was hired by RSL, that he was not under any reason, under any circumstances, being hired by RSL for the Real Monarch's job uh, to be the next guy. He was, that wasn't the plan. That's what, and that's what I've heard. And I know some people look at it and say, yeah, right. Obviously he was brought in to be, to step in once Kassar took a fall, uh, took a tumble out of the job. Um, whether or not that that's what was planned, this is what's come to fruition. And I'll I tell you what, Pecky for me, Deserves another opportunity. Uh, he 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 obviously did get a bit of a raw deal with the Red Bulls. He did well there, um, but the you know, expectations were were apparently too high, and he didn't do enough. He didn't. Uh, certain people were not happy with the job that he did. I think that's a bit unfair. Uh, but now he gets an opportunity to show that the work that he did as head at Red Bulls coach was not, or the results that he got as Red Bulls coach. We're not about having Thierry Henry and Tim Cahill and Bradley Phillips and, and all these guys, but rather because he's a because he's a good coach. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how he does. Uh, this is a good opportunity for him. And uh, you know, the, for me, the pressure is on him, obviously. But I think the pressure is on Craig Weibel uh, to really try to build that, revamp that that roster. Because right now, for me, that roster isn't a roster that's constituted to win now. Obviously, you have so many young talents there, so many academy products working their way up the pipeline now that you could be putting on the field at a certain point, you have to ask yourself, which one is the priority is the priority getting these young talented players playing time and experience, or is the priority to build yourself a team that can actually get to the playoffs. I know you, you, you'd argue both things should matter, but you really can't have both because I, I don't know if these younger guys are ready. I don't know if Danny Acosta, Brooks Lennon, I think Justin Glad is ready. I think Justin Glad has shown that he's, he can handle playing on that level. But Sebastian Saucedo, Jose Hernandez, all these young, talented players that have come through the the, the RSL Academy, uh, it, it, they need to play. They need to play. So if you're Mike Pecky, and obviously you're going to be facing the pressure from Deloy Hansen to deliver results immediately, you're in a bit of a tough bind. And it, this is not an easy job. And I said it on Twitter. I think this is a tougher job than the Red Bull's job was. Now, you can argue, yes, Red Bull, Red Bull, Red Bull's job is a more high-profile job, and in that sense, there is inherent pressure. I get that. But RSL, there's a bit of, there's there's definitely a, a, an air of desperation uh, because I think the owner is a bit of a, is, is feeling that. I feel like the owner wants results yesterday. I feel like the owner looks at the history of the club and says, well, we did it before. Why can't we do it again? And, you know, we're, we're going to see what kind of owner Dale Hansen really is, because I'll tell you what, folks, I have not heard glowing things about Dale Hansen. And I know people in Utah will say, oh, wait, no, this guy, you know, he's a great owner. He spares no expense. He does what, what it takes to, to, you know, give the team the best that they can have. That's all well and good. I'm just going by what I've heard by, from people I trust, people who have been there, people who have worked there. And then you kind of look at the people who have moved on from there. And you ask yourself if those people moved on because of a better opportunities or also because they didn't want to work for Delo Hansen anymore. So we'll find out. We'll see how it goes. Uh, we'll see at the end of this year when the dust is settled how things are going and if Pecky will be given time to really develop this team. You can't just give this guy less than a year 
less than a full year and expect him to work magic, I think he's going to need time. And whoever ultimately takes his job, you know, if, if Pecky ends up getting the hook after less than a year, and again, you can't rule anything out when you fire a coach after three games, you can't put a, you can't put anything by this team at this point. Um, but I think you got to give Pecky time. If you're going to hire him and you're going to be serious about him, you want, you need to give him time to really develop this young team because there's talent there. No question. There's talent there. Uh, next up, we have Bastian Schweinsteiger. The German World Cup winner is formally signed with the Chicago Fire. He was introduced at the press conference this week. And, of course, all anybody wanted to talk about was about one freelance journalist who really doesn't know anything about soccer deciding it was a good idea to ask a question about soccer. And the question was pretty dumb. Uh, he asked Bastian Schweinsteiger if he thought he could help Chicago, the Chicago Fire win the World Cup. Uh, and apparently later in, a, in a, an interview, interview that journalist did, he tried to clarify and say, well, he met the Club World Cup, but it didn't go over. Like, it, it, he didn't explain himself. And nobody's buying that guy. Nobody's buying that. You didn't know your stuff. You decided to open your mouth anyway. And you ended up, not only did you end up making yourself look like an idiot, you made Americans look like idiots. You made American soccer fans and American soccer journalists look like idiots, even though this guy is not an American journal- soccer journalist. From all, from what I understand in my little bit of digging that I did, because I didn't do a ton of digging, I was actually trying to stay away from this story because I thought it was jo- I thought it was dumb. I thought it was dumb. But once I saw the interview with the said journalist and he tried to explain himself, and it was pretty much what I thought it was, which was a guy who's not a, a soccer writer covering a soccer event, once I saw that, I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to step up and discuss this on Twitter, which I did. Um, but just, I mean, listen, folks, if you're listening and you're an aspiring journalist and you're sent out to cover something that you know nothing about, and that happens sometimes, that happens. You know, there's a story breaking. There, there, you know, I remember being a young, uh, you know, uh, news clerk back in the day at the Herald News in New Jersey and being sent off to cover, uh, you know, a, a raid of a of a counterfeit clothing factory. I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know anything about crime reporting, but I was the person in the office. I got sent out to write about it. And then, you know what? You ask questions. You observe. You talk to people who do know what the hell is being uh, is 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 the topic of the event you're at. That's how you report. That's a, that's journalism. Journalism is not deciding. Oh well, I don't know anything about this. So I'm going to go ahead and ask a question, see what happens, see if I pull off some beauty. And then, you know what? Look, I, and, and honestly, I wasn't even so upset about the, the, the person being clueless about soccer because there's a lot of people. Guess what, folks? Newsflash. There are a lot of people in America who don't know about soccer. There are people everywhere who don't know about soccer, but those people don't ask questions in soccer press conferences. That's kind of the rule, right? What bothered me more was the smugness of some people who were kind of like, oh, my Lord, this is so embarrassing. How dare this person not know? And it was just like, settle down. And then you had the people that were like, oh, American soccer, American Americans still don't know anything about soccer. And it's like, really? Because one clown asks a dumb question. Now we are all once again clueless about soccer as Americans in this country. Give me a break, people. Give me a break. I'm pretty sure... I can go to Spain and find people who don't know anything about soccer. I can go to England, find people who don't know anything about soccer. I can go to Brazil and find people who don't follow soccer. So this isn't a, this isn't like a, you know exclusive to America. Unfortunately, 
one of our one of our coolest people decided to ask the question. That's where it went wrong. That's where it went wrong. But you know what? You know, I've spent enough time on this story already as it is. I've, I I ranted on Twitter. I'm a, I'm a, I apologize for ranting again. It just irked me a little because some people were just taking way too many liberties with this story to kind of have their go at American soccer people. Uh, and you know who you are. You know who these people are. They never miss an opportunity to dig at American soccer people. And it's it's you know what it is what it is. These people are they're haters. That's, that's I'm I'm turning into I'm Jermaine Jones now. These people are haters. So it but so what? If you're a soccer fan in America and you know that you know your stuff, then then ignore this or laugh it off. I'm not losing any sleep. I know my side. I, I put my years in. I put my 20 years in covering this sport. I feel like I have a little bit of knowledge. So it's all good. Now someone needs to go educate this this guy, this freelancer from AFP. AFP News, mind you. Not AFP Sports. AFP News, from what I was told from my my people. But it's an unfortunate thing because it distracted from Bastian Feinsteiger signing with the fire. That was the news. That should have been the news. World Cup winner. Signs in MLS, he still has a lot left to give, and he's joining a fire team that could use a superstar. Now we're going to see what he has, right? We're going to see what he can do. I've already gone on record as saying that I think he's going to surprise people, and I think he's actually going to do pretty well in this league. Does that mean he's worth the $4 million uh, gamble that the fire are taking on this? You know what? He's worth what the owner wants to spend. And Andrew Houtman has been wanting to spend money for some time now. He tried to spend on Drogba. He tried to spend on Jermaine Jones. He tried to spend on Brad Guzan. He tried to spend on Alhai Bedoya. The man has money. He has real money. Uh, and now he has this opportunity to bring in a player that uh, Velko Panovic wants. And a player who a lot of people know. A player who can bring you some, some attention and some notoriety to your team. And who could potentially help you win games. So is it worth a gamble? If the guy with all the money says it's worth a gamble, it's worth a gamble, folks. So you can say all you want. You can talk all you want about does, do they need him? Do they not need him? Yeah, sure. It'd be great if the fire could go to Argentina and pluck another one of those Diego Valerius off the tree and bring him to the fire. It's easier said than done, people. Sometimes you just got to bring, you just got to break out the wallet and say, okay, I'm going to take that World Cup winner on the, on the shelf over there and see what happens. And I think he's going to do well. So... We'll see how that goes. We'll see how that develops. It's been an interesting week in MLS. There have actually been some trades, uh, so at least one blockbuster trade, which uh, I don't think many people saw coming, but it makes sense in a lot of ways when you look at it. Kikuda Mane, the young speedster, formerly of the Vancouver Whitecaps, has been traded away by the Whitecaps to the Columbus crew for Tony Chani and a pile of money and potentially a first-round draft pick. Uh, there's, also, there's all sorts of, uh, you know, additions addendums to this trade and a lot of its con uh, condition on uh, uh, how long Kikuda Mane stays in Columbus because he's in the last year of his deal if he leaves obviously he's gonna fetch less for the for uh, the Whitecaps but if he stays if the crew succeed in keeping him and re-signing him to a new deal then the Whitecaps get a first round pick I believe there's other money that they can get but you know ask yourself why does Mane get traded why does the why do the Whitecaps trade such a promising young player? Well, guess what, folks? They have another promising young player in Alfonso Davies, who's even younger, and who is looking like the future of that team. Now it's a little worrisome that you know what they've had a few guys who were supposed to be the future of that team. They've had a few guys who were supposed to be the star attacker of the future: Omar Salgado, 
Darren Maddox, now Kakuta Mane. It's a little, yeah, you wonder, you wonder, you, you you start to worry a little bit. When you look at that, when you think about that track record, you wonder, are the Whitecaps going to handle Davies well? Are they going to make sure that he thrives? I hope so, because Davies is a promising player. Very promising. At his age, forget about it. So, um, but if I'm Columbus, I'm overjoyed because Kakuta Mane, okay, the negative, he's injury prone. He's fragile. You can't argue that. You can't, you look at the track record, you look at the history. He has gotten injured quite a bit. However, when he's on his game, when he's at his best, he can wreak havoc on the defense. And now he joins a Columbus team that isn't exactly light on attacking options, but he gives he gives the crew depth. He gives the crew options. He gives Greg Burhalter a different kind of player, giving you know that pure speed that maybe they don't have right now. Because, I mean, Justin Merriman's really kind of maturing as a player you can argue he's getting better as a player but he's not getting any faster right you can argue he's lost a step uh ethan finley is he is he is he have the pure technical like the pure speed to go with the technical ability to be an elite level player i know there's been questions about that i know he you know he had the big year in 2015 not so much last year. You kind of wonder where he is, but I like I like what Mane does for the crew because he's really going to step up the competition for playing time. And if you're Justin Merrim, if you're Federico Higuain, if you're Ethan Finley, or even if you're Ola Kamar, you're on notice now that Greg Berhalter has a new toy and this kid can play. This kid is something special. And if you're and I tell you what, if you're a if you're a crew fan, you should be excited because I, I mean I'm telling you this kid is this kid is good. And I, and, and I think he's going now to an environment where he could he could thrive. I think he could thrive there. So uh, we'll see what happens there. And uh, last but certainly not least, there's some injuries to discuss. Uh, Joseph Martinez and Romel Kyoto were the uh, you know the unfortunate victims of international uh, international break injuries. Uh, obviously on international duty. Joseph Martinez suffered an injury in uh, in, in Ball World Cup qualifying, and Romel Kyoto su- suffered the injury actually against the United States. He uh, he injured his shoulder. Unfortunate because both these guys have been two of the more exciting players in MLS in the early going of the season. Two of the more exciting, especially two of the more exciting newcomers, and those are big blows for both Atlanta and for Houston. I mean, though, th- I mean, Martinez was obviously the lead striker, the leading scorer for Atlanta's potent attack. And Romel Kyoto, for my money, had been the best attacker for Houston in their their dynamic attack, no pun intended. So it's unfortunate, but guess what? It's going to test the depth of these teams. It's going to test the, the, the ability of their managers, their coaches, to adapt and to use their bench. Tata Martino has options. They have forward. Atlanta has forwards. Kenwin Jones can step in there. Maybe Brandon Vasquez. Maybe maybe you bring Hector Villalba. Maybe you do a false nine. Atlanta has options. Martino Tata Martino is not shy when it comes to tactics. So I think Atlanta will be okay. Although going to Seattle is not easy with your be- without your best striker. And as far as Kyoto goes, I think I think Houston will be okay. They still have Elise. They still have Eric Torres, Eric Kubo Torres, and they play the Red Bulls. That's going to be a tough one uh, for them. But uh, but yeah, unfortunate injuries there. And another trade report, which hasn't been made official yet, but the word out of Minnesota is Sam Cronin and uh, the word out of Minnesota is Sam Cronin and Mark Birch are headed to Minnesota United, and the Rapids will be acquiring Mohamed Saeed and uh, Josh Gat 
and and that one's a little bit of a surprise. It hasn't been made official yet. Uh, I believe the Star Tribune is reporting it. Uh, it it's uh, the the real for me the real shocker is Sam Cronin because I mean I really thought Cronin was a was a really key figure in in the Colorado midfield. So it, it, I mean that's a little you know I, if if they were if you asked me who they're going to get rid of when the season began I would have said okay they'll give it to Michael Azira. Uh, when they added Bismarck, uh, Ajay Boateng as a defensive midfielder, all of a sudden you had three starting caliber midfielders, and they decided Cronin's the guy to go. I was a little surprised by that because for me, Cronin was a key part of what's what Colorado did well last year. So um, I think that if you're Minnesota, you should feel pretty good because Cronin is a, is a pro. Cronin is rock solid. And Mark Birch, I mean, it's clear to anyone who's watched Minnesota United play that left back has been an issue for that team. Mark Birch is a good pro. Mark Birch is a solid left back option. So if you're Minnesota, you should be happy with that trade. Uh, I do think it's a little disappointing that Josh Gatt didn't get a shot, didn't really, you know, get to do his thing at Minnesota before getting traded. Uh, but we'll see. Maybe now the, the change of scenery going to Colorado uh, will work out in its favor. Okay, last and certainly not least, we're going to talk about the Week 5 matchups in MLS. I do want to get into uh, the games. Uh, FC Dallas is not in action, for those who are wondering where they are. They obviously are playing the CONCACAF Champions League semifinal second leg against Pachuca at midweek. So MLS has, uh, you know, conveniently enough done them the favor of scheduling a bye week for them, which is definitely going to help them. But there's plenty of action, especially on Friday night, when you're probably listening to this after the Friday night matches. My apologies for that. Had some technical issues uh, with the with the, the Emerson Hyman interview and finally got it to work. Uh, decided to put the show up Friday night and hopefully you get your get your bang for your uh, bang for your podcast buck here, and you can listen to it uh, heading into Saturday's matches, and hopefully you enjoy the you enjoyed the Emerson Hyman interview. But moving in to MLS Week Five, you have Toronto FC sporting Kansas City TFC at home for the first time since the MLS Cup final. Uh, I'm going to go TFC in this one. I think they're going to win at home. Sporting KC is going to offer a tough test, but I think Javinko's back. I know Josie Altidore isn't going to start in this game. He he played he played a ton for the U.S. in the international break. He can use a rest, but Javinko should be able to handle the load. I think he has a big game. I'm going to go TFC 2-0 in this one. Seattle Sounders, Atlanta United. This is a big test for. Tata Martino's men, Atlanta United, traveling to Seattle, the toughest challenge that they've had to date this season. And for a team that's really off to a flying start, we really get to see where they stand now as a team. Now, obviously, the international break is, uh, wreaks a little havoc on this one because players on both sides have had to do a ton of traveling. Some of them have played quite a bit. Clint Dempsey, Roman Torres have played a ton for, uh, you know, for their national teams in the hex. Jordan Morris coming off injury. Atlanta obviously has Joseph Martinez now sidelined by injury. Uh, you have uh, Miguel Almiron coming in. Uh, didn't play a ton in the international break, but he did have to do the ton of traveling. Uh, so you want to see how he and some of his other teammates fare. Uh, this is gonna be a good one. This is the for me. This is the game of the week. It's on Friday night, and uh, if you're listening to this before that game, make sure you watch it. And if you're listening to this after that game, you can you can compare the notes and see what how how good a game it actually was. I think it's gonna be a great one. Game of the week. I'm gonna go Seattle in this one, two to one. Uh, the fact that Clint Dempsey and Roman Torres uh, had been cleared to play in this one, as as has Jordan Morris. 
uh, bodes well for what the Sounders want to do. I think Nicholas Ladera has himself a game, even though Greg Garza should be matched up against him. That's going to be a, one of the top matchups to watch this weekend. But I'm going to go Sounders 2-1. to one. Next up, NYCFC at San Jose Earthquakes, or versus San Jose Earthquakes. This one will be at Yankee Stadium. I plan to be there. Uh, another day game, uh, another likely chilly game at Yankee Stadium. Uh, I'm going to go NYCFC in this one. It's always tough for teams to travel across the country uh, and get to get a result. And we know San Jose started off really well at home with a couple of wins. They lost in Kansas City. Now they head east. They're here in New York, and it's going to be a tough one. NYC is really tough at home, and I think after that 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 tough draw against Montreal before the break. I think Patrick Vieira is going to really bear down on this team, maybe even shake some things up in the lineup. And I like NYCFC's chances to get the win. I'm going to go 2-0 NYC over the Earthquakes. Next up, Chicago Fire, Montreal Impact. Bastian's Feidensteiger's debut. It should be. And it'd be interesting if he jumps into the starting lineup. And Montreal without Piatti, potentially without Lawrence Simon. That's a tall order, especially going on the road. Uh, I, I like Chicago in this one. I think Chicago gets the win. Uh, and, and you know what? A somewhat decent start for the fire turns into an actual full-blown promising start, especially if Schweinsteiger can make an impact in his very first match. Next up, we have the Columbus crew against Orlando City. Orlando City's 2-0, but they have to travel to Columbus where it's going to be a tough one. Now, even though Jonathan Mentz is out for Columbus, which will make things tougher when it comes to dealing with Kyle Aaron, uh, rookie Alex Cronalli is going to have another chance to show what he can do. Uh, he is he is impressed in the minutes that he's gotten for the crew, uh, the Maryland defender, the rookie, the homegrown player. I think, I'll tell you what, he, this is going to be a good opportunity for him to see how he matches up well with Laren. I think the crew overall, I think they're playing well. They're gaining confidence. We're starting to see the team that we saw in 2015 Greg Berhalter has made some changes, made some adjustments. We know about the Kakuta Mane trade. We'll see if uh, we'll see what Mane can do in this one in his debut. I'm going to go Columbus 2-0, another 2-0. That's a popular scoreline, at least in my predictions this week. Next up, DC United, Philadelphia Union. DC United has not scored a goal yet this season. But guess what? They do score a goal here. Unfortunately, they don't win. I'm going to go Philadelphia Union to grab the road draw 1-1 at RFK Stadium. I could definitely see DC winning this one. Um, but this is going to tell us a lot about DC because if they don't win this one, that just adds fuel to the to to, to the, the theory that this is going to be a really bad year for DC. So this is the kind of game they need to win. So we'll see how they do. Next up, Minnesota versus Real Salt Lake, and I tell you what, folks, call me crazy. I have Minnesota winning this one. Their first win. We know RSL is in between coaches. Mike Pecky's been hired, but he will not coach this game. Daryl, my man, Daryl Shore's coaching this game. No, no offense to Daryl Shore, but I think Minnesota being at home, uh, they just made that big trade that they made. We'll see if Sam Cronin and uh, Mark Birch can plug right in there. Those would be two really good additions for them. I'd like Minnesota in this one. Kevin Molino, Christian Ramirez, I think they're going to do some things. RSL's defense is banged up. I'm going to go Minnesota in an upset. Even though they're at home, it's still an upset because a, a lot of people probably thought they wouldn't win a match all year. I say they win this one at home, two to one. Next up, Houston Dynamo, New York Red Bulls. Dynamo missing Romel Kyoto, but they still have Alberta Lise, and they still have Eric Kubo Torres. They also have Ricardo Clark to try to deal with Sasha Kleshton. Uh, Red Bulls, they, they're good on the home, uh, at home, on the road. They were disappointing last week against RSL. Um, they're not going to be shy against, against the Dynamo. They're going to try to go at the Dynamo, but I like the Dynamo's chances in this one, even without Kyoto. I'm going to go to 2-1 to one Dynamo. Next, we have Vancouver Whitecaps versus the LA Galaxy. Now, Vancouver's tough at home, but they have the CONCACAF Champions League semifinal, second leg coming up. Carl Robinson's going to have to try to rest some people for that game. 
And you can't afford to rest people going up against a Galaxy team that could actually have some of their injured starters back this week. Whether it's Ashley Cole, Jossie Zardis, they're expecting to have Gio DeSantos back. If they get all those guys back, if they get all those guys back for this one, I like the Galaxy's chances to pull the road win. A second straight road win for Kurt and all those men. And last but certainly not least, Portland Timbers, New England Revolution. I'm going to go Portland at home again. Another team having to fly all the way across country. New England, I'm not convinced yet about New England being a good team this year. And this is a good test. If you can go all the way to Portland and get a result, get a draw even, that would impress me. But I just think Portland's attack is too dangerous, too too dynamic. And New England's defense, I think, is still coming together uh, with the new faces that they have. So I'm going to go Timbers. Three to one. Uh, once again, their attack just keeps rolling. Diego Valeri put uh, continuing his MVP caliber season, uh, and I'm going to go Portland in that one. And that's it. That wraps up uh, the MLS coverage, and that wraps up this episode of the SBI show. Once again, apologies for the late posting of the show. Uh, I did I did manage to get it posted on Friday, just a little bit late on Friday. So uh, hopefully you're listening to this at halftime or after the first match on Friday night, or maybe you can't watch the two MLS matches on Friday night or aren't interested in MLS, but you want to hear about the national team. You want to hear from Emerson Hindman. Uh, thank you very much for listening. And, uh, you know, I'll definitely get, now that I'm home, starting next week, uh, I'm going to be home for quite a few weeks uh, other than, you know, the the, the odd short trips to, to, to nearby, whether it's Philly, D.C. I might try, try to take a spin up to Montreal, uh, New England as well. Other than that, uh, I won't be taking any long trips for the next couple of weeks. And I'm going to try to get into a good rhythm of posting more than one show a week. Um, I've been able to get one show a week so far since we've gotten back, but I definitely want to step it up. But hopefully you enjoyed this one. Definitely leave comments in, in the comment section. Let me know what you think of the show. I, we're, we're getting the rhythm in there. We're getting the interviews. Uh, it was definitely great to get Emerson Hyman on. I'm definitely going to work on getting some more guests going forward. Try to try to get you some good guests and also try to get you some sound bites. I'm going to start incorporating some sound bites as well uh, from the interviews, the various interviews that I do. I mean, I do a ton of interviews, uh, and I think some of them will be uh, you'll find interesting when you hear the quotes when you hear the comments as opposed to reading them. So that's something to keep an eye out for as well. And last a uh, couple of plugs here. Definitely. If you haven't already uh, give me, give the show a review on iTunes because we, we haven't had any reviews since, uh, since we've returned and we definitely want to know how we're doing. Uh, feel free to leave comments in the comment section. Just, you know, try to be nice. I mean, I'm not saying you have to tell me the show's great and that it's all that. And it's amazing. But don't be brutally rude about it as well. Actually, you know what? I can take it. I'm a big boy. If you hate the show, tell me you hate the show. If you like the show, tell me you like the show as well. Uh, I just want to make. I just want to get it back to you know where it used to be. And obviously, my man Garrett isn't coming back. I, by the way, I did get to see our boy Garrett cleverly in San Jose. He was at the USA uh, Honduras match, and it was great to catch up with him uh, and see how he's doing. And we will bring him back. We will have him on the show just to shoot the breeze and just to catch up for those people who are curious how he's doing. I'm sure a lot of you spent a few years listening to him and, and, and would like to know how he's doing. I want to bring him back. Just, uh, you know, we got to get him on as a, as a guest. Uh, one of these, one of these episodes, it'll happen. It'll happen. Uh, but yeah, that's it. That's it for me here in New Jersey. Thank you for listening and definitely keep listening. Let me know how we're doing. Let me know what you would like added to the show. Let me know what you like about the show. Feel free to let me know what you don't like about the show. 
And uh, and that wraps and that wraps it up. And for Emerson Hyman, thanks Emerson Hyman for joining us on the show. And once again, thank you for listening. I'm Ivy Scalarset. This is the SBI Show. Thank you.